Uh, Nicola, uh, the message I gave him, the message Paul Millsap gave him was simple. Uh, don't worry about who you're playing with. Stop deferring. Be aggressive. Uh, I, I think we're kind of past the growing pains of reintegrating Paul Millsap back into the lineup. Uh, it took a few games, and we knew it would. It wasn't surprising to anybody uh, that knows basketball when you have a guy that's missed 44 games coming back. But, uh, yeah, Nicola's doing a great job for us. Uh, he's being aggressive, and he knows that he has to be our guy. Everybody else is going to find theirs around him. You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. Our guy. There it is. This is Nuggets Nation. Malone talking about Nikola Jogic and sort of the transformation over the last uh, week or so that has taken place. And I think this was a big week for the Nuggets, a much needed big week for them. Want to get into all of that in today's show, talking a little bit about the Kings game, a little bit about the Lakers game since those happened over the weekend. All the good stuff happens over weekends when we're not doing shows. Happens, It's happened all year long. I don't know I don't know what it is. The Nuggets are like a boring Monday through Friday team and an exciting Saturday and Sunday team. But uh, got to get it onto all that. And then I'm going to look at some of the big picture stuff from the last two games because, quite frankly, this Kings game I don't think was all that interesting. Lakers game had a lot of interesting stuff, but... um. Mostly want to look at some of the big picture because I do feel like this is a turning point for of the season, you know, kind of a pivot point, I should say, not a turning point, a pivot point because the Nuggets finish up uh, some road games. They go on the road now, or some home games. They go on the road now to take the Lakers, which is going to be a very meaningful game. They come back for Detroit, and then, of course, they go on their seven-game, season-long seven-game road trip against uh, some tough opponents. But before I get into all of that, I, I have to start off today's show by talking about our event today, the Denver Stiffs event, our charity drive. I need to come up with a name for it. You guys could send me submissions uh, on Twitter of what we should call this because we want to make it an annual event. But you all, listeners of the show, readers of DenverStiffs.com, helped us send over 350 kids uh, and their families, kids who are battling cancer, to go watch the Denver Nuggets play today uh, at Pepsi Center for this day game. And it was an incredible event, guys. Our goal, when I met with the Nuggets, you know, a month and a half, two months ago, I said, you know, our goal is going to be to raise enough to send 50 kids. Let's do that. And then, you know, as we talked about it, I said, okay, we're going to call our goal 150, but 50 is our secret goal. <laughs> but we'll aim for the stars here. We we not only raised enough to send 350 kids, which was basically everybody that Hope Kids could handle. Like, you know, not in our wildest dreams did we think our first year we were going to be able to get it going this this well this quickly. We sent all the kids and Hope Kids that were able to go, and on top of that, we raised almost another three thousand five hundred dollars. So it was like seven thousand dollars all told um, went towards this event and. Uh, just an incredible thing today to get to see all the kids showing up an hour and a half early to watch the Nuggets warm up. Um, some real big Nuggets fans in the group, and and it was just great. I mean, you know, when I talk about this event, and and I really thank everybody that got involved for this. I think sometimes when you hear something, oh, you know, kids battling cancer, this is, you know, oh, that sounds like a good cause. I mean. This is really, we're really talking about families of, of kids aged two years old in some cases, teenagers in some cases, um, and everything in between that are in, in the most literal sense facing life or death situations and, and battling for their lives. And you think about, you know, I've got two kids of my own, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I just can't even fathom um, what some of these families are going through and just kind of the, the ba- bravery and 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 toughness that these kids uh, possess to kind of go through these battles. So 
you know, there's a lot of great charities and a lot of good things out there, but I really like that we picked this one because I, I seeing today all of the families that show that showed up and, and, and just hearing some of the stories of the different things that they've been going through. There's one kid I met, um, uh, Alex, Hugo and Alex, Hugo's the father, Alex, the son, um, been flying to Philadelphia to get treatments, these T cell treatments that is like experimental because he's had leukemia. He's 10 years old. He's had leukemia since he was five. Uh, diehard Denver Nuggets fans saw him in the game, like up w- cheering like for, for the entire game. Um, but he's basically spent half his life. He got it was diagnosed when he was five. He's 10 years old now and um, has spent half of his life battling leukemia. And, and they're at the, a, a point now where a little bit of desperation they have to try a you know a, an experimental um you know treatment for, for this and trying to save his life so I, I say all this just to say that what we what you guys all did by donating and supporting the cause and getting involved in this it wasn't just a, a oh this was a fun event kind of a, a whatever this was this was really a serious thing for a group of people that that desperately um deserve this night this this opportunity to do this and it really did make an impact so everybody i can't thank you enough it's the most proud i've ever been um in my four years covering the nba this event using the platform the way we have it i just am incredibly proud and i'll tell you the nuggets are extremely excited and next year we're going to make this thing huge we sent uh we raised seven thousand dollars our goal next year is going to be double that we're going to we're going to get fifteen thousand dollars we're going to pack the entire upper uh, level of, of Pepsi Center with uh, families in need. And so thank you all for that. I wanted to start off the show by talking about that because it really is the most important thing that we've done. On to basketball. The Denver Nuggets against the Los Angeles Lakers on Friday night. Always always a mixed bag when the Lakers come to town because i got to start it off by saying there were Lakers fans everywhere, and there's always Lakers fans. There's always been. I mean, the Nuggets played them in the conference finals a couple years ago. There were Lakers fans at the game. Lakers fans in Denver suck. If you are a Lakers fan and you're in Denver, or if you have, like, you know, uh, relatives who are Lakers fans in Denver, you absolutely need to, like, uh, <laughs> have a have a, have a, a sit-down with them and talk about it because there is nothing lamer in the world than having no connection to the Los Angeles and being a Lakers fan. At this game, it was over. There was a Let's Go Lakers chant that broke out. There were more chin strap beards at the game than I have ever seen in my life. Like in one in one setting, there were uh, right sitting right behind me in the media section was this really broy bro uh, jersey with no sleeves, just screaming the entire game obnoxious things. Um, it, I just it's it's so satisfying to see them all walk out with their heads down and and like completely shot because Lakers fans I've talked about this before generally don't have a clue what's going on you know like in the season they just show up in their Kobe jerseys and um it was kind of interesting to see how many people were like man how'd we lose this game well it's because you're not any good but um but it, but so so that I have to mention this note and, and I always have fun with Lakers fans it's just it, they're the team I, I love to hate but um you know it, it set the atmosphere because this was maybe the most important game of the season. The Lakers actually have been surging lately. They've been playing their best best basketball over this last two, three weeks. And it was a must win for the Nuggets because I, I, I was talking with some of my colleagues, some of my other reporters, and this was the first, you know, must win game of the season. This was the first nail in the coffin game. If they lost the Lakers and it was a three-game skid because they had a two-game skid coming into it, you know, I think that was the season was over. And not statistically, of course, they could always rebound, but I just don't know if mentally they could have rebounded from that one. So it was really, really uh, important. Also important, 
um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about more about this later and go a little bit more in, in depth. But this was the first game following um, the Millsap Jokic meeting of the minds that they had and the, and you know both guys i can't imagine this meeting was more than like 20 seconds <laughs> um it, but i think it was an important short meeting because Millsap basically said look man don't worry about me i'm not a selfish player i'm not here to say hey i want to get my touches figure me out Millsap sat on the bench for four months he saw the, the month of february that where Jokic led the team and um off on the offensive end and just the, how how great that offense can be when it gets going and i think Millsap having that little meeting and just saying look don't worry about me don't don't think because I'm an all-star I feel like I have to be the guy you're the guy and and I think Millsap you know in no uncertain terms really put it out there you are the guy you you are our team and we need you to play play uh aggressively and assertively and just not you know tell me where to go don't look at me and try to figure me out just tell me what you want me to do and I think that more than anything, has just completely changed Nikola Jokic over the last two games. Now, it's a small sample size, and it's against two teams who are not in the playoffs, the Lakers and the Kings. The Kings especially are not even a basketball team, quite frankly. But um, but nonetheless, Jokic has looked different. There's been so much more of a pep in his step, and it started with that Lakers game. It really, I thought it started with the Cavs game, but the Cavs game, as great as Jokic was, the 34 points, you know, that was a lot of posting up. It was a lot of aggressive Jokic in, in one-on-one. I thought the Lakers game and the Kings game, Jokic looked like his best self, which was a little bit of everything, a little bit of posting, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of pick and roll. But more importantly, he was just at the center of everything. Every time you looked at a play, there, there Jokic was in the middle of it, and um, and it rubs off. So, and that Lakers game, I thought, is when he, the the pep in his step arrived for the first time. Uh, a couple quick notes here, you know, Malone's timeouts. I've talked about this a lot. He he called three timeouts in the third quarter of the. Uh, of the Lakers game. And I thought all three of them were probably could have been used differently. Uh, Malone, you know, us writers, all of us, we, we sit together, we kind of all like ha- have this joke where we all predict, Oh, here comes a timeout because we just know the types of moments Malone likes to call timeouts. And I think this is a big thing for Malone going forward. I think this is, this is one of the biggest things he's going to have to work on. The Denver Nuggets are a flow team. They are at their best. First of all, they're at their best when they're pushing the pace and uh, and they can inject the pace of the game and wear the other team out. They're also at their best when they can just get a rhythm. And when a team goes on a 4-0 run, I know the temptation is there for a coach to call the timeout and, you know, we got to stop the bleeding, so to speak. And, you know, had, um, I think, Malone developed the trust early between his team and, and himself – I think it's a lot easier to kind of let a 4-0 run turn into a 6-0 run and just trust that your team will at some point find their footing. I think now where every game just has so much pressure and stuff, it's hard. But this is one thing that I think right now the Nuggets absolutely need. In that Lakers game in the third quarter, they get they get blown out in the third quarter of the Lakers game. The Lakers really catch up. Lonzo takes over. Three timeouts, a, a bunch of fouls. It was just so choppy that I felt like the Nuggets never could get their rhythm. In the fourth quarter, they did get their rhythm. And honest to God, I think part of the reason was because Malone didn't have any timeouts to use. He knew he had to save one for the end of the game. So he only had one basically for like non-clutch time situations. And, um, you know, that just allowed the game to get flowing. And again, I think the Nuggets are best at that. So it's become a thing where Malone has been going to those early timeouts is sort of a, and I think it's almost as much for him as anything because we all know Malone really runs hot. His blood pressure gets up, and I think sometimes he, he calls a timeout for him to calm down because he gets so furious about some, a mistake that the team made. He's going to have to learn, I think, to to live with um, a bit more mistakes and a bit more trust than, than he's used to. 
Um, but the but the Lakers, or I'm sorry, but the Nuggets fought, fought back in that fourth quarter, uh, got going and, and made some big big time plays down the stretch. I have to, of course, dr- address this uh, Jamal Murray kerfuffle that uh, that ended the game. And, you know, it started with Contavious Caldwell-Pope giving a little bit of a hard foul on Murray. I didn't think it was anything unfair. In fact, there, I thought it was live, and then you see the replay, and it was more incidental contact. M- Jamal Murray goes into the bench. Murray, now you have to understand a couple things about Murray. One, he loves this. He loves the trash talk. He loves the rivalry. He loves the intensity. So this is part of just who he is, I think. And, you know, he's he knows what he, he got himself into. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. But... Um, you know, for him, I think, and from his perspective, he wants to up the stakes with Lonzo Ball because he sees himself as a young point guard. I'm sure Jamal Murray sees himself as the best young point guard in the NBA. Uh, Lonzo Ball is heralded as the best young point guard in the NBA, or one of them. I mean, he's in LA. He's got the, uh, you know, he's on Sports Center every single day, every single minute, it seems. So I think um, part of it was Murray just kind of having that chip on his shoulder of like, look, you get all the attention, but I'm way better than you. But I think the other part of it is, that Murray is a smart guy and he is a guy that I think is very aware of the challenge of his brand here in Denver. Denver just doesn't get coverage. The Lakers do. Big baller brand does. If you start a beef with big baller brand or with Lonzo Ball, you get front page of sports setter. You get you get people tweeting about you. You get all of these things. So I think he kind of knows that he is doing this very deliberately to put himself in a conversation of like, you know, there was a lot of conversation last uh, after that game on Twitter of who's better, Jamal Murray or Alonzo Ball. That's exactly what he wants. He wants people to to stop and take a, take a moment to, to ask these questions because in his mind he is better. So um, part of me, I don't like I, like – I like trash talk during the game. When the game is no longer in doubt, I'm not a big fan because I think it does kind of switch from – you know, I mean, there's like playful things you can do. You, you know, we, we saw the the Cavs and the Warriors kind of do things at their different their respective parades after winning the finals. I think that stuff is fair game. But, you know, once the game is no longer in doubt, kind of getting in somebody's face, I you know, I'm opposed to. So, well, I don't think it's a big deal. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of it. At the same time, unless Jamal Murray said something so offensive, you know, and crossed a line, I have no idea what Lakers fans and and Luke Walton and Lonzo Ball and everybody is so up in arms about. Talk trash, classless, whatever. Take that into your locker room and 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 deal with it. This is the NBA. You know you don't. Uh, not everybody has to be. Uh, you know super cordial. I think it's good to have rivalries. Now, like I said, I highly doubt Jamal Murray crossed the line. So, um, him him getting into you know talking trash about Luke Walton or the Lakers or this or that deal with it lakers <laughs> you have to deal with it i think it's absolutely insane that people are so up in arms about it even though i'm as i've said i don't love it it's still it's one of those things you just uh i think it's absolutely a- absolutely absurd now that being said laker nation is going to be at jamal's throat at the game he's going to get booed every time he touches the ball on tuesday night i think the lakers players are going to have are, are going to be running a little hot in that game and will be a little bit more testy than usual I think there might even be a hard foul or two on him. Jamal Murray has put the pressure on himself to come out and have a huge game on Tuesday night because 
The Laker game in Denver was important. This Laker game on the road is just as important. The Nuggets are in the 10th seed right now. As crazy as that sounds, they are the 10th seed, and or I guess the 9th seed tied with Utah Jazz, um, but, but on the tiebreaker. They are not in the playoffs. It, teams are just not losing in the Western Conference right now, especially to non-playoff teams. So the Nuggets, as good as the Lakers are, and I actually think they're playing great basketball. I don't think the Nuggets are significantly better than the Lakers. I do think they're better, but I don't think significantly better at this moment. I think their peak is better because – but the Nuggets are in that where are they, have they really turned a corner yet? Do we really know if they figured out who they are with Millsap? I'm not so sure. Um, but this Lakers game is an opportunity for them to come out and prove it. And Jamal Murray has just put even more pressure on the team and on himself. And I will say, I think Jamal Murray knew that. And I think he is ready for it. He's wired that way. He is that dude. And I think um, I'm curious to see what happened. I'm not going to like guarantee he comes out and has a big night. Um, but I would not at all be surprised if 21-year-old Jamal Murray thrived off of the boos that are coming uh, for him in this game and had a good game. So he better, or else, um, you know, I think uh, I, I think it can kind of change the dynamic and, and the momentum that the Nuggets have built over the last two games. But uh, I think he'll be ready. So he did a great job early on, and then even more interestingly, uh, he the the second unit. Um, I I thought he's starting to fit in really really well, and I actually have a big note on this later on that I want to get to. But um, he's starting to fit in. I really like him when he's at the three, but he has a size advantage, and he's and there's enough spacing on the court that he can still post up. And the Nuggets have done a good job of that late, uh, lately. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that here in a little bit. Um, the Nuggets, I think, needed a, a win against a terrible team like this. This almost works as a scrimmage, and I think I just think the Nuggets needed that. Um, the Kings kind of play into their hands, so it allowed them to get comfortable. And as I said, Jokic's confidence through the roof. I think Millsap figuring things out. Jamal Murray, who's actually also been a little bit in a slump given an oper- a low-pressure situation. Trey Lyles looked good tonight, 14 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and he's been in a huge slump. So I think the Nuggets just needed a game like this. And then 38 assists, you guys, that's not that's pretty uncommon for a team to get that many assists. Um, so the ball really was popping all night long, and it wasn't just, you know, I always say this, Jokic sets the tone, and when the Nuggets play through Jokic in those first, like, six minutes, I just feel like it becomes contagious. Well, they did that tonight. They actually didn't knock down their shots early on. They should have, they won by 30, they should have won by 40. In the first quarter, in the first six minutes, I felt like they should have been up, like, 10 or 15 points. They had so many wide-open looks that just didn't go down. Um, But eventually, of course, they found their footing. They stuck to the game plan and got it. 38 assists was huge. And again, I, I, I think the Nuggets needed a game like this to get their footing. Now on to some of the big picture notes. Um, I talked about the the comment from Paul Millsap and how he has um, handed the reins on offense to Jokic and just given him his, his blessing to say, be yourself, just whatever you want. And I think it's not just about, a lot of people keep saying Jokic needs to be aggressive, and I keep saying that's not the right word, and I stand by this. I think... You know, Jokic wants to play within the flow of the offense, and it's very hard to be aggressive. I think people, you know, aggressive to me means you're looking for your shot or you're looking to attack or this or that. Playing within the flow of the offense is letting the game come to you and being opportunistic. And this is why, you know, when Denver's not playing smart, I don't think 
it makes a ton of sense for Jokic to be aggressive. What he needs to be is this sort of on-court leader. And, you know, much has been made about Jokic's ability to be a leader, and there's different types of leaders. I don't know that Jokic at the moment is anywhere close to being able to be in the locker room, let's all have a meeting and I'm going to speak up or time out or this or that. But when he's on the court, he I've, I always re- uh, compare him to Peyton Manning, you know, as Peyton Manning kind of calls the plays at the scrimmage line and makes reads and just tells it. He just He's the general on the court where he's telling everybody or on the field, I guess, for football. Uh, he's telling everybody where to be. I think Jokic is, has really been that over the last two games. I wrote an article on Denver Stiffs that I, you really should check out. If you enjoy the show, I go even more in-depth in my article with video examples on denverstiffs.com, but I showed some examples of Jokic kind of ordering people around the court, and this is things that he's done on occasion, but he really hasn't done with Paul Millsap on the court, and I think he's finally comfortable just saying, hey, Paul, get out of here. Go over there. Go set a screen in the corner for this guy. I'm going to work a pick and roll over here. Uh, of course, he doesn't say that much, but when when there was a, a, a specific example where Millsap was posting up and, and he told him to get out of the way, and it's just little things like that. You know, that's... You know, maybe I think some people are calling this aggressive. That's why I, I said a week ago, I think it's a semantics article because I think we're talking about the same thing. But, you know, the phrase, I'm a writer, the words are important to me. Um, so it's not so much about like, oh, Millsap's in the way. I'm just going to take the ball and go dribble and try to score right now. It's more about the assertiveness of saying, hey, I'm running the show. You need to be over here. You need to be over here. We're going to run this action right now. And I think he's done a great job of that over the last two games. I'm so curious to see. You know, if, if they continue to do that this year. And this is why, you know, when we, and I have to take a little bit of responsibility for this as, as an analyst. I learn some stuff all of the time at covering the NBA. We have, we put a lot on Malone, and I think, and look, I think it's fair. I think I've been fair to Malone um, more often than not. Even if I'm wrong, I, I feel like I'm fair to him. You know, one of the things that, we, we look at how a team plays and we'll often say, well, why is Malone having them play this way? And one of the things I think we fail to realize is that it's not always about what the coach draws up. It's also about the relationship between players. And I feel like what's changed over this last week is the relationship between Millsap and Jokic, where Jokic has probably felt like he knows better than Millsap, and rightfully so. I think Jokic knows better than everybody besides maybe three or four players in the NBA, just in terms of understanding how to get the shots that he thinks the team needs. And um, and I think Millsap being willing to do that, but nobody had really cleared the air about it. And that's why I think you know, we, we blame coaching, we blame all the scheme and all this different stuff. I think at least a portion of this was that the dynamic between Millsap and Jokic needed to pass this certain barrier that they have now passed, or at least I think that they have passed, knock on wood. So now that that barrier is cleared, all of a sudden we're starting to see the Nuggets look like what we always thought they could be, at least over the last two games. And this Kings game, it wasn't a lot of offensive rebounding. It wasn't a lot of fast break points. They score 130 in the half court. A 124 offensive rating in half court plays, according to cleaningtheglass.com. It's just an absurd number. A good team gets 100 and you know eight. 124 is absolutely absurd. They just come down in the half court, execute, and get wide open looks. And and it's it, and like I said, it could have been a lot worse. They missed some shots early on. Jokic is so confident right now in his three point shot. I'm gonna write an article this week, and I'm gonna tease it a little bit here. I a lot of my analysis of Nikola Jokic, I uh, other than the basketball stuff, the personality stuff, and in his mind, I project some of my stuff, my my own um, psychology, if you will, onto him because I really do think from watching him and 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 being around him, and I think I get good reads on people. I think that's one of my skills in life. I I really get the sense that he has a lot of my same personality traits, and I'm going to write about this more in depth, but. 
you know, his confidence in his shot, I don't think it's a coincidence that the month of February his shot was falling so well. I don't think it's a coincidence that in January it was not. His confidence is tied to his buy-in. And now that the team is playing um, the way that he believes in and he's kind of in, in a comfort zone, I don't think it's a coincidence that he went 4-for-4 four four tonight and has shot the ball well um, in the month of February over the last two games. Um, so I don't, I don't think these things are, conf- uh, are a coincidence. He's confident in his shot. He's confident in his post-up game. He's being a lot more aggressive in his post-up game. And he's back to making super quick reads with his passing. Tonight, my favorite pass, there was a bunch of good ones. I, I think everybody liked the tornado pass. Uh, I liked the give-and-go between him and Murray, at the fr- like the second player, the second score of the game, because that's Jokic at his best. What, what makes Jokic Jokic is his ability to make a great read in like one-tenth of a millisecond. It's, just, it's incredible how quickly he gets. And that was one where he grabbed the ball, went into a shooting motion, drew the defender, and immediately dropped a, like a, a, a wraparound pass to Murray for a wide-open layup. And in real time, it happens so quickly that you just think... And it wasn't like he saw the pass before. He just was reacting. He went into a shot, saw the, sh- the the pass was a better option, and called the audible. This is when I think he's at his best, and these plays just don't seem to happen as much when he's not in a comfort zone. Uh, the game is coming more naturally to him. I want to talk about Paul Millsap, and I've already alluded to it, but I, I cannot tell you how impressive it is for Paul Millsap to give up control to N- Nikola Jokic. I know a lot of people on the Internet look and say, well, it's so clear Jokic is the better player and we need to do this. Paul Millsap is making $30 million this year. Jokic is making one and a half. I know these things seem superfluous to a lot of people on the outside. They are absolutely not. Player pecking orders are often tied, or at least cousins of how much you're getting paid there's not and i think this team has a lot of unselfish guys a lot of down-to-earth guys but there's still this back of the mind thing of like well you're the one getting paid to do this so you're the one that we're going to play through Millsap and there's and vice versa there's the i'm the one that's getting paid so i'm the one that makes the rules kind of guy Paul Millsap's also a four-time All-Star. He's also an incredibly dynamic offensive player. We're not talking about some guy that's only got one part to his game. Millsap can shoot the three. He can shoot the mid-range. He can go off the... He's so quick for a big guy that he often gets big guys off. He had a crossover on Brooke Lopez the other day. Think about this. 6'9", big, burly dude, and he had a crossover to beat Paul, uh, a center the other day. Um, you know... Uh, he's like Akeem Olajuwon would do these things and we and we'd be so impressed and Akeem Olajuwon is one of the best players of all time I'm not trying to compare Millsap to him but I'm just saying the game we, we we sometimes take for granted how unique it is for a big guy to have those types of moves he can post up he can rebound he can defend he can do all of these things and yet he still sees Jokic doing his thing and is humble enough and is unselfish enough to go and say you know what this is your team. Just just let me fit in. Let me figure out how to – just don't worry about me at all. Tell me what to do. Order, Boss me around. You're this 23-year-old goofy guy, no six-pack abs, no muscles, no nothing, never won anything in your life, other, you know, a silver medal, but nothing, nothing in the NBA. I've won 60 games. He throws all that aside and tells Jokic – I'm just telling you guys, this doesn't happen very with every player. There's a reason the Nuggets brought Paul Millsap in, um, and it was because I think he's a great fit alongside Nikola Jokic, but also because of a character fit. He's a great character fit, and Nuggets fans should be bowing down to Paul Millsap and the unselfishness that he's displayed over this last um, week. And I think it was always there. I just think he finally realized um, you know, that he needed to clear the air and have something said. And I talked to him today in the locker room one-on-one and just asked him if he has a sense of Nikola Jokic's personality and if that was important. He said it is important. you got to know people. you got to get to 
Um, you know, you know, you you got to know what makes him tick. And then, uh, but then he also said, you know, I do feel like I have a good read on him. I do feel like I understand who he is as a person, and that's 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 helped me kind of know how to approach him. I'm so impressed with Paul Millsap. I can't tell you guys enough. He's he's going to be an ultimate unsung hero for this team. And I know a lot of people were bummed that Jokic ball went away when he returned. Um, but that quote that I played you for the any at the intro, um, this is basketball. It's it's even if you're a perfect fit, it often takes time to kind of figure out how to play with each other. Um, and he's starting to get out of the way. He's starting to learn more and more where to fit in. I think that the Nuggets are probably somewhere 80 percent along that path. But even 80 percent is pretty good. Another big note I have in here is the rotation. The Nuggets are starting to get a set and consistent rotation, and this is something. Uh, if there's a, uh, this is one of, m- of my main criticisms. I would say of Malone, and a lot of this is not his fault. There's been some major injuries. There's been there's a lot of good players on this roster. Um, so there, you know, you can make a case that Fareed should be playing more. You should be make a case that Trey Lyles should be playing more. Uh, Tory Craig, you know, Wancho Hernangoma. There's a lot of guys that, that, that are talented enough to be in a NBA rotation. So he has a tough job. And then, of course, with some of the injuries that the Nuggets have had, it's been tough to get a consistent rotation. But there's also been a lot of shooting himself in the foot. I'm talking about Malone here, shooting himself in the foot with how much experimentation he's been having with what's been mostly a consistent roster for, for three seasons, really two seasons. Um, I think that the Nuggets over the last five, six games, really since Millsap came back, are starting to zero in on basically two rotations, but it's 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 consistent enough that the Nuggets kind of know when their minutes are going to be. And that is, of course, that Jokic plays the first like nine or ten minutes of the first quarter. He starts alongside Wilson Chandler and Paul Millsap, and eventually he plays alongside Will, uh, Will Barton and and more of a stretchy lineup. If it's a big team, as it was tonight, and as it's been, I think, against the Lakers, Mason Plumley will come in first rather than Will Barton, and they'll continue to play big. But again, uh, it's not so much about, you know, that lineup's not as good as the other one. It's not, but against going against a, against a big, it's really against a team that plays too big, it's really more about Plumley getting out of the way and, and the team continuing to play through Jokic, and I think the team has found that balance. So, um, the Nuggets have found some consistency in their lineup and in their rotations, and I hope that that maintains for the next 16, 17 games, whatever it is, before heading into the, the playoffs because I think that as much as anything can help the team develop um, and figure out who they are. And that second unit, I actually like this. I alluded to it earlier. Barton, who kind of plays point guard even alongside Devin Harris. Devin Harris plays a little bit more. They're kind of a perfect um one-two punch at the guard position because Barton takes on pick and roll duties. I think a lot of times we think whoever runs the pick and roll with the ball in their hand is the quote-unquote point guard. But Devin Harris is there to kind of reset things and let Barton play off ball. Even though Barton brings the ball up, runs the pick and roll, makes a lot of the plays, Devin Harris is there in case you need somebody to kind of get the Nuggets organized and set. So I think they play off each other very well. Wilson Chandler at the three, uh, Trey Lyles at the four, and Mason Plumlee at the five. What I like about this, they're spacing on the court. Barton, Devin Harris, Wilson, and Lyles can all shoot. None of those guys, other than Will, uh, Barton, none of those guys are elite three-point shooters, but they're all good three-point shooters, good enough that they're going to have to have somebody get a hand up. And Barton is six foot six. Uh, Wilson Chandler is six foot eight. Lyles six foot ten. 
that's a lot of height. So you have, even though I don't think it's a great defensive lineup, you know, Barton is is a, a, a minus, Lyles is a minus, Devin Harris a minus as a two. Um, even though you have, it's not a great defensive lineup, there's length there that, that you can work with. And then offensively, there's length that Lyles and Wilson often get mismatches with this lineup um, for one-on-one. The second unit plays, that unit right there plays very differently than the first unit. The first unit's ball movement and everybody touching the ball. This this one's a little bit more one-on-one-y. You know, guys kind of trying to take their guy off the dribble or in the post or whatever, or even in, in just, you know, straight spread pick and roll with not a lot of off-ball action. But it still works, and I th- and, and I think the Nuggets are kind of on to something. I don't think – these are the – by the way, those are the nine guys. So that's a that's a nine man rotation. I just pointed out the starters plus those five as a second unit. Um, those are the guys I think should be playing. Um, I don't think Malik Beasley should be in the rotation. Tory Craig, you know, maybe you could slot him in for you know for Wilson here or there if you want to get a little bit more defensive. You slide him in for Devin Harris, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Devin Harris. So, but. But other than that, I don't I don't think there's anybody else that should be playing. So I kind of I, I kind of like where the Nuggets are at with the rotation. Lastly, some quick notes here: um, hitting Nikola Jokic on the roll remains one of the most important keys to Denver's offensive game. And as good as the Denver has been with the DHO and and posting up and playing through Jokic, the one area they still are not a hundred percent at is getting Nikola Jokic. The, the the pat the pocket pass on the roll and Jamal Murray has kind of regressed. I've talked about this a little bit, but over the you know when they are on when him and when Murray is getting him the ball on that roll, the Nuggets offense just goes to a whole other level. And uh, Barton does a great job of it. That, that that's really going to be something that I think Murray himself is going to have to figure out. But I think uh, the coaching staff too just kind of find ways to kind of get that pass going early on. Um, because I suspect more and more teams are going to be trying to take that one piece away. And as good as the Nuggets offense is through the rest of the, you know, on, on every other type of action, that's the one that I think really unlocks them. So uh, it'll be continue to be important. Rebounding remains an important edge for Denver. And this is one area where I think Millsap can actually improve. Like I said, I don't think he's 100% figured out his role on this team. I think it's only 80%. Um, I've, I've talked in my column, which, again, I highly recommend you check out on denverstiffs.com. I show my favorite use of him, which actually Lonzo Ball demonstrated as a weak side screener and, and basically a hammer slash flare screener on the weak side. Um, but also just grabbing offensive rebounds. He's a big body. He's going to be able to punish a lot of guys. Uh, same thing with Mason Plumley when he's basically playing the dunker spot alongside Jokic. The Nuggets' offensive rebounding has dipped a little bit over these last few games, and that's a, I think part of that is, of course, because they're making so many shots. So these things do go kind of hand-in-hand. Hand. But there have been opportunities for them to out-rebound the other teams when they have not, and that's something I want to get, uh, I want to see. And then lastly, I'm going to write about this probably for tomorrow. The Nuggets tagging the defender still really, really irks me. Um, they're just always late to anticipate the tag. And the best way I can describe this the tag guy is the help guy so you imagine there's two guys trying to contain the ball in the pick and roll and then you try to recover to the guy who's rolling well we call it tagging when usually you're in the dunker or you're in the corner you rotate over to tag that guy to make sure he doesn't get like a a lob to the rim or an easy finish at the rim but you have to be ready to to rotate back out to the three-point line and teams do this differently sometimes they just straight switch the help side so if say let's just say wilson's in the corner and he's guarding uh, garrett temple and kufis is rolling to the paint Wilson would roll to the tag guy, and if they got stuck there, if he felt like the the pass to the roll man got hit 
quick enough, he would just switch on to the roll guy. Now he's there, and say Jamal Murray was guarding the ball. Now instead of rotating back, he or, or even if it's Jokic, rather rather than rotating back to Kufis, he runs out to the corner and guards Wilson's guy, and it becomes an effective off-ball switch. Well, um, the Nuggets don't do that. That's not their scheme. Their scheme is to tag the guy and then get back and, and recover. And the problem that the Nuggets have is so often the, the, the tag guy is slow to read this. And what happens is he ends up going five, you know, two steps to roll to the tag guy and then have to go five steps back out to the uh, to close out on his man. So the Nuggets give a lot of kick out three point shots there. Um, I think the, the, the biggest thing the Nuggets can do, there's a bunch of things I think execution wise that the Nuggets can do better on the defensive end and the pick and roll. But I think the, the fastest thing they can do, and Paul Millsap just does this instinctively because he's such a good play, uh, defensive player. You can tell, as a defensive player, you can tell what play is about to come if you just think about it. If you're just focused about thinking what's happening right now, what is about to happen, and you can notice, here comes a pick and roll. I'm the guy in help. Beat the roll man to his spot. In other words, instead of waiting for that pass to go to the roll man and then run over to tag, and guys are usually like one foot in the paint, one foot out, instead, anticipate it. You know that that guy is about to roll. Get into tag position, full on in the paint. You get three seconds in the paint fully commit to that early and then if the pass if the the ball handler throws the skip passes lebron james is very very good at your closeout is only one direction and the reason this is important if you have to go 10 yards in one direction versus five yards in one and five yards back you're always faster going the one direction even though the distance is the same it's just faster to go in one direction so if you're early to the tag then you only have to close out one way. Gary Harris, not long enough to close out You know, if you're a step slow, but he is quick enough to know that if he's early into the tag, all he has to do is sprint out at the shooter and run him off the line. Um, the Nuggets really struggle with that, and, and it just blows my mind how much they struggle with that very thing, and that's why the Nuggets are so susceptible to kickouts. That's it for today, guys. A little extra long because, as I said, I thought there were a lot of notes from these games, so there was some, some stuff I thought needed to be covered. Um, but uh, the Nuggets head in on Tuesday to a huge game against the Lakers, and uh, after the home game against Detroit, it really does become the final stretch for Denver. They're out of the playoffs, but I think trending in the right this direction and um, a win against the Lakers, I think, will go a long way to kind of boosting them uh, for this long road trip. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.